0: Today, we have one more way to learn to say Happy New Year. I'm going to invite my friend Nehemiah to come. And uh, Nehemiah is going to teach us how to say Happy New Year in Samoan. So, everybody, this is Nehemiah. Hello,
1: guys. I'm going to teach you how to say Happy New Year in Samoan.
0: Uh, let's start right now. Now, here's the first part Manu,
1: Ia, Le, Tausanga, fo. Fo. There it is. (laughs) And repeat after me. Let's do it all together. Manu'ia le tausanga fo. Manuia le tausanga fo.
0: I invite you to stand up, turn to the people beside you, greet everyone with manu'ia le tausanga fo. Children, you are dismissed to go to Sunday school. Well, today I um, get the wonderful privilege to invite a new voice that uh, you've never heard here at Mission Church. Um, You heard Tate say, Pastor Bob. It's not Pastor Bob Smith. It's another Pastor Bob. It's actually Pastor Bob Killen, my father-in-law, who's in town visiting Rochelle and I. And um, just so you know who, a little bit more about him, um, Pastor Bob Killen. Um, he was a pastor in Hawaii and also served as the district superintendent of the district in Hawaii. So not only was he my father-in-law, but he was my district superintendent and my boss. <laughs> and, um, and he is a man of God that uh, has been a mentor to me in the ministry that I have had in Hawaii. He was significant in helping me to start the church that uh, Rochelle and I planted, the Bridge Church back then. And, um, and he has been a model for um, Rochelle and I of not only the beautiful marriage that he has with uh, his wife, but the model of ministry that he has had in the churches and how he has led Um, It just brings me so much pleasure and honor to be able to ask him to come and bring today's word and share um, the ministry that he has with you. In his retirement years, he has offered himself to God and he has been used over and over again to be an interim pastor uh, in Arizona where he lives now. Um, Please welcome uh, Pastor Bob Killen.
1: Aloha! Aloha. <laughs> it's great to be able to be with you today. We've been we've been here before um, uh, in visiting the church, but uh, but to be able to, to share, I'm I'm really surprised that Gordon would allow, actually allow me to preach. But uh, I I do want you to know that I offered to uh, not preach because I knew he's in a series that uh, he started. Uh, you know, a few Sundays ago on on the the prayers of Jesus, and when um, he was talking to me, and I we mentioned uh, recently about me you know sharing, and I had um, I had been trying to you know pray and ask God to show me what uh, he would want me to share if I were to share, and um, I realized that one of the the, the sermons I w- I was looking at was one dealing with a prayer of Jesus, and. Um, in this case, Jesus' prayer for the church found in John chapter 17. And I'm going to read for you in just a moment um, a few verses from that. And I just want you to know as, as we, we read this, you know, we know uh, we always talk about the Lord's prayer, uh, which really is the one we think of it is really is the disciples' prayer. I mean, Jesus taught it to his disciples to pray. Uh, I suppose in reality this is the Lord's prayer because he's praying this prayer. Um, on the night that he is betrayed, just before his arrest, and his trial and crucifixion. And he is praying to the Father uh, in behalf of, um, uh, first of all, he's reporting to the Father, and then he prays uh, to the Father in behalf of, of the disciples and of us as well. And so I'd like for us to, uh, to just look uh, this morning, if you uh, would, uh, would share, if we can share together, in looking at the Word of the Lord in John chapter 17. And I'm going to begin reading in uh, in verse 13. And I think uh, the words will be on the screen, but uh, if not, you can find them in your your Scripture or in your device. Beginning at verse 13, Jesus uh, prays these prayers. He says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me, and I in you. May they also be in us, and that the, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The Word of the Lord. As we, uh, as we look at this, I, you know, the a question that comes to my mind as we, we begin to think about this is what is. The measure of a of a great church. What is it that makes a church great? And, and I think it's evident as we look at uh, at the Word of God, and especially as we look in the Gospels. I think it's evident that God desires that His church be great. And in the Scripture that we're looking at here this morning, we hear Jesus as He prays to the Father just before His arrest and crucifixion. And I, and as I said. You know, a lot of times scholars talk about this as being the high priestly prayer that shows, if you will, Jesus' concern for the greatness of his church. Now you would think that the prayer that he, he would make just before his arrest, uh, and Jesus knew what was going to be happening, he'd been t- telling his disciples what was going to happen, and you, you would imagine that in this prayer is, is something that was very vital, very important to him and, and to us. And in this prayer, Jesus kind of reveals a twofold purpose. First of all, he, he reports, if he, and we didn't read the first few verses. I'll, I'll touch on them in just a moment. But he, he talks about and reports to the Father that he's accomplished what the Father has sent him to do. And, and then Jesus begins to ask that the purpose of the Father would continue in his disciples and continue in the church uh, with you and I today. And so this morning, as we look at this prayer, I think we can see five things that Jesus prays for as it relates to the church. First of all, he prayed that the church would sense the glory of the Father. Now, in, uh, in, in verse uh, 1, uh, Jesus, and I didn't read this to you, but Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son May glorify you. In verse 4 he says. I brought you glory on earth. By finishing the work. That you gave me, gave me to do. And now Father. Glorify me in your presence. With the glory I had with you. Before the world began. And in verse 10. He says all that I have is yours. And all that you have is mine. And glory has come to me. Through them. And then in verse 24. Jesus prays Father. I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Now you kind of get a sense here, don't you, that Jesus was kind of concerned about this whole thing called glory. The word in the, in the New Testament is the word doxa, uh, which we get our, you know, our term doxology. Uh, and, and we find that eight times in, in chapter 17... Jesus uses this word or, or, or variations of this word. And it refers to the visible manifestation of the presence and the splendor of God. That, 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 that whole aspect that, that when the glory is there, we, we sense God's presence. As a matter of fact, it has a, a connotation with it of, of kind of a, a wait until we can, we can feel, if you will, the presence of God. In the Old Testament... The word is kabod, and, and we find it a number of times, but in Second Chronicles chapter seven, verses one to three, uh, Solomon is praying the dedication uh, of the temple, the, the temple that had just been built. And here in chapter seven, beginning at verse one, it says, "When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. God's presence was so real that the priests could not even enter into the temple. It was, it was as if there was something blocking their way. It was the glory of the presence of the, of the Lord. Now this is kind of a, uh, something that had happened before in Exodus chapter 40 when Moses had, had uh, erected the tabernacle at, at God's instructions. And, and uh, after the tabernacle was, was complete, the scripture you know, talks about the fact that the glory came in such a real way that even Moses could not enter into the temple of the Lord. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 96, verses 1 to 3, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord in praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations and His marvelous deeds among all peoples. Now, I, I, I'm sharing this with you this morning to say to you that that Jesus was praying for the glory to continue to rest upon the church. I believe this morning it's, in, it's important for us to understand that God wants His presence. He wants His splendor. He wants His power to be demonstrated upon His people, His church. Could I share with you this morning that Jesus prayed this prayer that it might be true in this church, that His presence and His glory would rest upon this church. And I, I believe this morning that we've got to seek to be, uh, to be that so that the world can see Jesus when they come in contact with the church. Now some of you that are here today know, uh, you know a lot about the history of the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, uh, back in, uh, in, 19, in 1895, the Church of the Nazarene began really on the west coast in, in Los Angeles, California with a man named Phineas Brzee. And in 1898, they built uh, their, their, their first building there that became known by, by people in that day as, as the glory barn. Uh, and, and it was called that because it, it was that sense of, of the presence of, of God that, that seemed to be upon those people that called themselves Nazarenes back uh, in, in, in those days. And, and I believe that God desires that for, for us and desires that for this church as well. That, that when people come here, that when we invite our friends to come, that somehow they would sense the presence and the glory of God. You see, that was Jesus' concern. Shouldn't it be ours as well? That we would have his presence upon our lives and, and upon our service in a very real way. In Ezekiel chapter 36, as God is, is talking to Ezekiel to, and, and, and through Ezekiel to the uh, the exiles there in Babylon he says there in verse 22, It's not for your sake that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name. I will show the holiness of my great name, and then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. God's saying, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it so that people will know that I am the Lord. I want to work in your life. And I believe this morning it's saying, God wants to come up on this church in such a real way that people will know then not that we're good people but it will give glory to God. Amen? Amen. That God's glory would fall until people would recognize that as a matter of fact Jesus made provision for us to be a glorious church there in Ephesians chapter 5 verse beginning of verse 25. Paul writes there from the New Living Translation, God loved the church and he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Notice in verse 27, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish and said that she would be holy and without fault. Jesus died upon the cross in order to make it possible that we might be a holy people and that people would, would, would see his glorious presence resting upon his people called the church. Amen? Now Jesus also, in this prayer, prayed that the church would follow the word of God. In, in verse 8, Jesus prayed to the Father and he said, For I gave them the words that you gave me and they accepted them and they knew with certainty that I came with You, came from you and they believed that you sent me. Jesus, uh, as he's praying, they're talking about the disciples that they they heard His Word. They received the Word that Jesus presented there. And when they received the Word of God, the Word of God gave them meaning in life, and it gave them motivation for life, and it gave them a mission for life. And these disciples were changed because they heard Jesus' words. They heard the words that Jesus gave to them. But I want us to think this morning, what does the Word of God do for us today today? And I believe the Word of God, we notice here in the Scripture, the Word of God separates us. Notice in verse 14, Jesus prays, He said, Father, I have given them Your Word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Folks, you realize it is the Word of God that, that separates us. It separates us from everyone else, from the world, from those in the world, because the Word of God makes a difference in our life. I I I may, might add here. I believe that one of the the problems in the modern church today is that there's no difference in our value system than the values of the world. Oftentimes, but God's word says there ought to be a difference. Jesus said, "Father, I I I've given your word, and the world has hated them, for they're not of the world any more than I am of the world." And and so. The Word of God separates us. It gives us a different value system. Also, we notice in verse 14 that the Word of God strengthens us. He says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus was praying that we would be strengthened, that we'd be given keeping power in the midst of all that's going on in the world. And you and I know we face trials we face uh, temptations. We face, uh, you know, a lot of pressures a lot of times in the world. But, but Jesus was praying that we would be strengthened, that, that we would be kept while we're in the world, that we would be in the world but not of the world. And also we notice that the Word of God sanctifies us. Notice in verse 17, he says, Sanctify them by their truth, your word is truth. And in verse 19, Jesus said, For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified, that we be sanctified, that we be made holy by, by his presence. And then the word of God also saves us. In verse 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, as these disciples shared the word, as we, uh, we recognize, uh, even as we read in the epistles in the New Testament, it is, it is God working through these disciples that presents the Word that you and I have come to know Jesus Christ and found salvation and found hope. The bottom line this morning is this, and that is that we need to become established in the Word of God. Listen, folks, the Word is important. It's not just something for us to toss aside. Now, I realize that most of us, and, and and I do the same thing, you oftentimes read the Word on your, on your phone. That's okay, the phone, the device. But I, I just want you to know that we need the Word of God. Amen? It's God's Word is true. As a matter of fact, in, in Hebrews, uh, we, we read where, where it talks about the, the, the Word of God. It says in verse uh, chapter 4 and verse 12, The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. God's Word says that His Word is alive. It's, it's a living Word. It's not just some, you know, words or print that's on a page. It is something that comes alive. And the more we make it a part of our life, the more it, it impacts our life and impacts who we are. And so He, he prays that, that that the glory would rest upon the church. And He prays that we become established in the Word. But He also prays that we, that the church would be united in the love of God, in verse eleven, Jesus prays here: "I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of Your name, the name that You gave me, so that they may be one, as we are one." Verse twelve, he says, "While I was with them, I protected them; I kept them safe by the name You gave me." In uh, in verse twenty one. He says, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they be also be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and you in me, so that they may be one and brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as, I, as you have loved me. Jesus was praying that we would be united. <laughs> And that's, that's an interesting, you know, uh, concept, isn't it? Um, that doesn't mean we all have to think alike. Uh, you know, uh, as you uh, realize, oftentimes, even your spouse, you don't think alike a lot of times with some, some issues, some things. But Jesus prayed that we'd be united, that we would, he prayed that we would believe, that we would know that the Father sent him. Now, obviously, that prayer was, was really answered on the day of Pentecost when those believers had met together for those ten days and prayed. And the Scripture talks about they, they left the upper room, you know, in, in, they were in one accord, and, and God moved them out out into the, the, the streets of Jerusalem on that day, and, and, and God did a, a great thing because they were united in love. St. Augustine, uh, you know, uh, was, is quoted as saying that uh, in essentials, we're to to have unity, and non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. That that we are to be united in uh, in 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 in, in the essential things. D. L. Moody once said, "I've never known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided." It's important, and Jesus saw that it was important that we would be united in 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 the things of God. I believe this morning that spirit-filled Christians united in love and guided by a purpose they believe in, can do anything. And and God wants to work in our lives. Some of you remember, uh, are old enough to remember, back in 1970, uh, Bill and and Gloria Gaither wrote a a song that we often used to sing. You'll notice we're we're brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family. And these folks are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and we rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. <clears throat> I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Join heirs with Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me, as we travel the sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Aren't you glad? whoop we'll drop that. <clears throat> Aren't you glad to be a part of the family of God? Excuse me, this morning. I'm glad to be a part of his family. Well, there goes the voice. Anyway, God wants us to be united, united in his love, but also that we begin to move in the mission of God. Jesus came. That we might that he might provide eternal life for us. As a matter of fact, in verses um, back in verse two and three, <clears throat> Jesus said, "For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus died that he might provide eternal life." For you and me. When Jesus died there on the cross and was buried on the third day, he rose again, and he did so that he might provide eternal life for each of us. He also came to provide sanctification for believers. I mentioned a moment ago in verse seventeen, his prayer was Father, <coughs> sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. And then Jesus he, he basically came to set us apart. To give us a special mission, a mission that he has for us, and to equip us for that mission. The word sanctify means to consecrate or set apart, to be made holy, that we might be prepared and equipped for the mission that God has given to us. And so Jesus calls upon the church then that we would go into the world and to achieve his purpose. You notice in verse 18, Jesus says as he prays, Father... As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus said, we are to be a sent people. It's great to be able to come together like we are this morning. Isn't it great to be able to sing and enjoy the presence of God as we come together? But you know, this is not, we don't live here. In in a few moments, you're going to be leaving. You're going to be getting in your cars. Because we are a sent people, we are sent out into the world, which becomes our mission field. Amen? And to realize that, that our mission is not here. We come here for, for encouragement and for fellowship and instruction. But we go out there to serve. And to serve the Lord in the world in which we, in which we live. <clears throat> and then Jesus also prayed that the church would experience the joy of God. In verse 13, Jesus said, I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. And then, uh, actually, in chapter 15 and verse 11, Jesus said, I have told you this, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Now, Jesus is concerned that we have his joy. You do know there's a difference between joy and happiness, don't you? A lot of you know we get that confused. We're happy when everything's going good. (laughs) You can identify with that, can't you? But you know when when things are not going good, sometimes we're not so happy. But we can still have the joy. Amen. We can still have the joy of His presence. That's why those dear saints who are suffering, and those dear saints who have struggled, and those dear saints who are going through a lot of difficulties and trials and temptations. Well, they can still sing of the joy of the Lord. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Nehemiah eight ten says, "The joy of the Lord is your strength." <coughs> it's it's his it's a joy. It's that that sense of of the presence of God that gives us strength. Excuse me. It's it's His will that you and I experience His joy. <coughs> so, what is it that gives? joy the joy of god to the people of god we begin to sense the joy when we sense the glory of god and <clears throat> we follow the word of god and we're united in the love of god and we're we're moving forth in the mission of god as we are doing these things it gives us joy in our service to him i believe this morning there there are a lot of things that jesus prayed for the church and as a matter of fact you know we we, we could look at a lot of different things here in this chapter But I believe it's important for us to understand that Jesus was praying for the church. You know, the church is made up of individual parts. Each one of us that's here this morning, we make up the church. You are, the church is you. The church is not this building. I know we call it the church, but it really isn't, because the church is made up of each one of you, and and, and we make up the church. And so this local church is no greater than its individual members. You realize this morning, Jesus was not praying for some static organization to perpetuate his memory. But rather he was praying for a living force to carry out and to achieve his purpose in the world today. And so the question this morning is, are you sensing the glory of God? Are you you following the Word of God? Are you... United in the love of God, <clears throat> and are you going forth in the mission of God and experiencing the joy that God has for us? I believe this morning as we read these words, we, 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 we recognize that it's His will that we sense the glory of God and that we follow the Word of God and we're united in the love of God and moving out in the mission of God, and in this way we become the church that God desires for us to be. I think it's important as we look at this to realize how how vital it was for Jesus that we be that kind of church. And I believe it's vital for, for you and me as well today. I think uh, you, some of you have, as I said, have, have sung that song, The Family of God. <clears throat> and if my voice will allow me, I'm going to have you join me as we sing together this morning. That uh, those those verses, and I, you'll you'll so you'll notice on the uh, uh, on on the screen, it says, "You will notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family, and these folks are so near. When one has a heartache." We all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king. No longer an outcast. A new song I sing from rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong. I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God I belong. Stand with me. I'm so glad. Would you stand? I'm a part of the family of God. For I'm washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. joined heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. I don't know about you this morning. But I'm glad to be a part of God's family, aren't you? To know that that we have something in common, and I talked a moment ago about the fact that we're to be united. That doesn't mean that we all think alike or we all enjoy the like things, the same things. As a matter of fact, you know, you're going to go to this chili contest here. Some of you're going to like some chilies over others. You know, that's okay. <laughs> we have differences, but. But there's one thing that we are united in, and that is the love of God and God's purpose for our life and what God has in store for us. And I believe that the Lord wants to do something special in, in, in the life of this church and the days that are going ahead as we seek uh, to realize how much God loves us and what Jesus has done to, to provide for us, that we would experience his glory, that we would follow his word, that we're united in his love. And that we are, we're moving out in His mission. And that way we would become the church that He desires us to be and enjoy the joy of the Lord in our lives. Amen? Amen.